0: Their friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, coming at you with another episode of Truth Espresso and Truth Espresso Express. And I am on my way to work on a Thursday morning. And uh, last night, as of this recording, I took my son to his uh, youth group activities. Actually, just a, a youth Bible study at our church. And while I was there I just got some ideas to start uh, studying more on the series on answering the question was Jesus a socialist and this is a series of truth espresso express episodes that I had started after one of my coworkers tried to make the claim to me that Jesus was a socialist And this was not a claim from someone who is an ardent student of the Bible or who even calls himself a Christian. But this is someone who has liberal politics and probably read uh, some articles that I have read trying to make the case there and thought he can claim that Jesus is a socialist. And so, in this part of the series, I'd like to look at the parables that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 15. Now, these parables are not ones that I have seen as claims to be teachings on socialism. But I am looking at these parables to point out how not socialist they are. Because if we answer the question, is Jesus a socialist? We also have to see, did he teach things that would be antithetical to socialism? And In episodes of this series, we look, we took on some of the parables and words of Jesus that some Christian socialists or even other socialists have used to try to claim that Jesus taught a form of socialism. So these three parables in Luke chapter 15 have to do with lost things. So all three of them deal with something that was lost, that left, that the owner received back and rejoiced, and the message there in the context was that Jesus was hanging out with publicans and sinners people who were considered outcasts by the uh, righteous upright in society, especially the Pharisees or those who were the teachers of the law. Basically, it's like, okay, here's the caste system. Here's the religious caste system. These people committed these sins so they should be ostracized from society from now on. And Jesus is making the case that people truly can repent of their sins. And that's what Jesus' mission was. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And sometimes, if we can have the two opposite ends of the spectrum, you'd have the Pharisees on one side today, who want to distinguish themselves so much from the world that they forget that our mission is to call people out of the world, that there is the hope, the life-changing hope of the gospel, that we can call people out of the depths of sin, and that requires hanging out with people to some extent, you know, like, of course, avoiding the appearance of evil like you know you don't want to go to the places of temptation that could ensnare you or even you know make it difficult for you to prove that you're in the world and not of the world but we still want to treat people as humans created in the image of God and uh, allow that we can give people the gospel and our mission to is to call them to repentance. But then you have the other side which are people that will say, "Look, Pharisees, Jesus um hung out with sinners. He hung out with harlots and they almost want to make it as if Jesus didn't consider those sins or if he did, it was kind of like, well, I'll meet them where they are and, you know, try to f- carve out some kind of meaning for them that doesn't in any way make them feel uncomfortable about their sin. And Jesus didn't do that either. These parables teach that Jesus recognized sin and that the mission is to call people to repentance. So given that context, I want to look at these three parables about lost things and realize that they do not teach socialism. So the first of these parables in Luke chapter 15, as I read last night, is the the parable of the lost sheep. You know, you have the one man who has a hundred sheep, and one of them is uh, lost, who leaves the fold. And the shepherd goes, leaves the 99, goes out to seek the lost sheep. He finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and carries it back. And then he tells his neighbors and his family and rejoices, saying, I have found the lost sheep. But I want to notice something as I was reading last night. Notice is that Jesus gives the example. It says, someone who has a hundred sheep. In other words, this person owns a hundred sheep. Why? Because he, he's not just the hired shepherd. Uh, he comes back to his house and he tells his family and his neighbors so this is someone who owns property, owns a house, he's living with neighbors, he also having the Greek word echo, he is having participle one hundred sheep. And then when he comes back and he rejoices with his neighbors and his family, he tells them that I have found my sheep. So the you know, the geni- the Greek genitive mu there, the sheep of mine. I have found my sheep which was lost. And this man owned a hundred sheep. Now, did everyone who had sheep own a hundred of them at this time? Likely not. Some people owned more sheep than others. But this man owned a hundred sheep, and because he was a property owner of all these sheep, that's why he cared about returning the lost sheep. So this parable, even though it's not the theme of the parable, because I talked about the theme, we do need to understand the context... And what the parables are really about, so we don't get lost in the details. But when socialists want to get lost in the details of some parables, well, we can show from the details of parables like this that it certainly doesn't teach socialism, that in fact teaches property ownership, and that property ownership, therefore leads people to be stewards of that property. But then we also will find out from one where if someone isn't a steward of property, how that can become a problem. But property ownership is what prevents everyone from being improper stewards of property that they're given and that they don't own or that they can't build upon. So the first parable was the lost sheep And someone owned these sheep, and he found the sheep that was his. And then we move on also to a similar parable about the lost coin. So he mentions a woman, Jesus mentions a woman who has ten pieces of silver. Now, super poor people probably didn't own 10 pieces of silver unless it was their, basically their life savings to handle a rainy day, or otherwise it was their emergency funds. But this woman ha- owned 10 pieces of silver. She had them, the same word there. She had 10 pieces of silver. And this was basically like you know what we'd have with a modern fair savings account. And because she owned them, and she obviously saved them up, she lost account of one of these pieces of silver. Who knows how it got lost? Perhaps she accidentally bumped it at some point and didn't realize it. Who knows? But the parable says that because she lost it, she was sweeping the floor. She was searching every nook and cranny to find this one piece of silver. Why did she care about one piece of silver when she had nine others? Well, because she invested in that piece of silver. It was hers. It belonged to her. She had earned it and acquired it and saved it. She valued it. It was her property, her earned property. And therefore, Jesus is giving the thought, experiment to his disciples and to the crowd there who were accusing him of hanging out with uh, publicans and sinners, of how much care heaven takes In bringing people to repentance when they fall into sin uh, gross sin how much the angels in heaven and God the Father invest in having someone return and repent from sin and so this woman searches diligently and sweeps and cleans her house in an effort to find this coin and once she finds it just like the man who owned a hundred sheep She tells her friends and her neighbors how happy she is that this coin that she had lost she now found because she valued it so much it was precious to her, it was hers. She was the property owner of this coin, and she stewarded it. So these two short parables then lead into the longer and most well-known parable. And that is the prodigal son, or you can call him the lost son. So there are a lot more details that Jesus gives in this parable of the prodigal son. And a lot of these details, reflecting the Jewish culture of the time, would definitely demonstrate things that most socialists in their policies that they push today would not favor. In the parable of the prodigal son, we start with a father who had two sons. And the youngest son came to his father one day and said, Give me the portion of good that, goods that fall to me. Now, let's uh, see one <laughs> anti-socialist aspect of this because if you understand the Mosaic law, the Jewish culture and this parable is no exception to it, you'd understand that the younger son would inherit one third of the property. So the father, whatever the father passed down as inheritance to his sons, the oldest son would get two-thirds and the youngest son would get one-third. So however many sons someone has, He would divide the inheritance up so that all the the sons would get an equal amount, except the oldest, the firstborn, would always get twice whatever everyone else would get. So in this case, the oldest gets two-thirds, the youngest gets one-third. Now, that doesn't sound very socialist, On the other hand, admittedly, that doesn't necessarily sound meritocratic either, like what did the oldest son do to earn twice what the younger son gets other than just naturally being the firstborn son? Well, you know, this was the tribal kind of culture, like passing down the legacy and the inheritance to the firstborn to carry on the family name and often the family practice. So, whatever you think of that culture, it wasn't socialism. So, notice that the father owned property. (laughs) That's one thing. Socialism, or at least Marxism especially, they really do not like the idea of property ownership. And especially this form in which you can actually pass down property as an inheritance to your children. And of course, you know, in a, a prior episode in the series, if I remember correctly, I referred to a verse from the Proverbs that mentioned that a good man gives an inheritance to his children's children. So basically, someone who's a good man, works hard, owns property, builds his wealth in such a way that he can steward it and pass down an inheritance not only to his children, but to ensure that even his grandchildren will end up with an inheritance. That doesn't sound very socialist to me. So this parable teaches property ownership. It also teaches inheritance, family inheritance, Not inheritance from a government, not some kind of heavy progressive inheritance tax that would dissipate or significantly reduce an inheritance that would go down. But, hey, the father gives two-thirds of his property to the oldest son and a third to the youngest son. There's no mention of him having to pay significant dues to the government to pay for inheritance taxes. He just gives the property. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Berschwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. So, this parable teaches property ownership. It teaches inheritance family inheritance and then also this parable also mentions that the father had hired servants or as you could call them today employees so this father was also basically a business owner and it's interesting how many times jesus in his parables talk about people who own property and hire people to steward that property If you want to teach the virtues of socialism, you don't teach that if you're not going to condemn it, and Jesus doesn't condemn it. In fact, the one who owns the property and hires employees is often uh, an allusion to God the Father. So the Father is a business owner. He hires employees. He hires workers. And now also notice that the youngest son, the younger son, comes to his father while he's yet still young and while his father is yet still alive and asks, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. So the younger son wants his inheritance now. So, yeah, basically he's telling his father, I can't wait any longer. I wish you had passed already. So just give me the inheritance now. Even though this is not the way things work, I want the inheritance now as if you had already passed. So he is demonstrating to his father that he didn't value the life and guidance and fatherhood that the father provided and all he cared about was materialism. Now, far from teaching capitalism, I believe that this teaches the negative, you know, (laughs) that the materialism, the negative materialism that you would find in socialism is what causes problems. It destroys lives. So, the father being a good loving caring father knowing what his son was implicitly telling him still kindly gave him his inheritance and you have to wonder in this parable if you would also get the idea that the father had an idea of why his younger son would want to have his inheritance now like was he uh, a brilliant entrepreneur did he consider like I have this great business idea and you know I know we could work on it together but I kind of want to just go out on my own and start a business with this and I need this right now I don't want to go get a loan I would like to have this angel investment (laughs) from you dad this capital so that I could start a business no his father probably had a hunch that his son was eager to get some wealth that was easy to obtain and while he was still young but he gave it to him anyway to kind of test him and so the younger son, as the parable says, you know, once he got his wealth, he departed to a far country and he spent it on riotous living. So basically it was kind of like, hey, he hit the jackpot, he won the lottery. you know I mean of course it wasn't that much, I would assume from this parable, but it was enough that a younger son who probably hasn't, hadn't really worked long enough to understand the value of a drachma saw this easy wealth this inheritance as something that he can use to win friends so he departs to a far country so in other words being away from the influence of his family being away from those who would know him being away from those who could probably have a positive influence on him, he went far away to a land where no one would know him and hold him accountable and found, you know, basically rogue people he was the kind of person that Jesus was talking about when he would hang out with publicans and sinners and harlots. This was the kind of life that the younger son lived with spending the portion of inheritance. And then having done that, after he had wasted it, he found himself in the poorhouse. He found himself broke. He found himself bankrupt. In other words ill-gotten gain or in this case ill-spent gain gain that was legally rightfully his but he got through the wrong time for the wrong reason he spent up and then he realized just how much that inheritance would be worth to him and um Traffic has been slow a little bit here right now, and I'm seeing the flashing lights and a little accident and stuff, but it looks like I'm about to pass that. So, the prodigal son finally realized just how much that was worth after having spent it frivolously. So, to the socialists out there, People can become poor, people can be poor, if they don't know how to handle money and wealth correctly. The father didn't just fare well because somehow he had so much wealth that he could spend it like this younger son did and just not run out. The older son wasn't wealthy because, you know, he can keep spending like the younger son did and still have the father's wealth on tap for him. No. The younger son became poor because he didn't handle wealth correctly, treated it as the easily obtained but short-term wealth that he regarded it, and then realized that he ran out of it. So what does this also teach us? What is this what are the details of this parable also teach us about how to handle and steward wealth? That if you don't recognize the need to delay gratification, if you don't recognize the the value of a dollar, you don't recognize the principle of savings, you don't recognize the principle of deferred or delayed gratification to acquire wealth, maintain it, and build it over time, but rather you want to spend it on fun things, that is one reason that some people are poor. Now I want to emphasize some people are poor because of mishandling wealth not everyone maybe i can even grant not the majority but we have to recognize there are plenty of people you know who spend they might not earn a lot of money but they also spend it on things like you know addictive things you have people addicted to cigarettes you have people addicted to alcohol ...and addicted to drugs and so on. And so you don't realize how much that costs to fund that. And some people could fare better if they would seek help to get over addictions rather than just feed them. But, you know, some people are poor and need a helping hand. Some people are poor and need to be taught how to fish rather than to be given fish. And in this case, this parable, the details of this parable, and intricate to the lesson of the parable, is the idea that this younger son didn't understand the need for delayed gratification. And that's why he ended up in the poorhouse. Now, if someone didn't know the background, if someone in this far country didn't know who this young son was and why he was poor he might observe him in his rags working for a man and feeding the swine and wanting to eat the husks of the, with the swine someone might look at him and observe him and, and have you know surface level compassion enough to say well this person needs a handout someone needs to give him a little bit of money you know, freely to help him out of his situation. And if someone did that to this younger son, before what it says that he came to himself, if someone just gave this person a handout not knowing why he was poor, not knowing, he spent with reckless abandon and just gave him a handout, what could this younger son have done with that handout? Well, likely he would have spent it a little more on what brought him to the poorhouse in the first place. It wouldn't have improved his life. No, rather than a handout, rather than a social program, rather than welfare, what did this son need? He needed what the parable said, he needed what Jesus said, and that was to come to himself. So in his poverty, when he was poor, this younger son, as Jesus said, he came to himself. In other words, the light clicked on in his head to realize He realized just how dire a situation it was, and he realized that there was a way out of it, and it wasn't to scream and protest on the streets, that he was the underprivileged of society. He needed welfare. He needed a helping hand. It wasn't to protest. It wasn't to lobby. When he came to himself, he realized that he could fare better by switching jobs because he, he had this dirt-poor job of feeding pigs, <laughs> the bare minimum, and he you know was so hungry that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. You know That was a horrible situation. But he realized, hey, if I humble myself and switch jobs, Then I would do better. He realized, how many of my hired servants does my father have who have bread enough and to spare? And then in his recognition and his humility, he says, I will go to my father and I will tell my father, I have sinned against heaven. In other words, his spending was sinful. We don't just look at the current situation of people. We don't just look at the drunks and harlots who are struggling and just say, Oh, let me give you some money. No. We recognize them as people valued by God, created in the image of God, who need a compassionate reminder and a helping hand to repent. That's what Jesus' message was. Here's how you got in the situation. You need to recognize the sin for what it is. The sin that often makes people poor. Poorer than what they could be if they were wise stewards of wealth. So the younger son realizes, I have sinned against heaven. And now father make me one of your hired servants but before he could even tell his father that when he got near his father and his father saw him afar off his father ran and kissed him and told his servants to bring the best robe now here's another anti-socialist thing I see about that because this was a son of that father he tells his servants whom he pays to do work, and they mutually agree to that, bring the best robe, because he's going to treat his son differently than the way he treats his hired servants. And I know that would just leave socialists screaming that some people, because of what family they're in, that somehow they can be treated differently, like there's such a thing as families. And family members can value each other in such a way that they are treated differently because everyone is not family. I know socialists want to think that way, that we need to break down the family structure and just seem, claim that everyone is somehow family in a amorphous way. <laughs> you know, we're all family, but we're all not. We're all family, and there is no family. But the son was treated differently and the father says, bring the best robe and put it on him. And as I'm about to arrive and park at work here, you know, any kind of lesson that we could get from the older brother, which is integral to the parable as a remark against the Pharisees, as a lesson against them, that they should be open to um, people repenting, you know, that's a lesson in and of itself. But we see all these anti-socialist details in this parable, and the message was that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And I think one of the anti-socialist details that's really important from these parables is that they're all about the sinners, the people who drug themselves into poverty because of their sin. There are sins that lead to poverty, And the solution isn't to redistribute wealth to try to make them more equal with other people, but to recognize, once again, as I've pointed out before, that we don't just look at people on the basis of whether they're rich or poor. We have to understand Why people are rich and why people are poor. Some people are righteous and wealthy. Some people are wicked and wealthy. Some people are righteous and poor. Some people are wicked and poor. It's not about trying to level the outcomes and redistribute wealth. We have to be careful about why people are wealthy and why people are poor. And these parables are about that, too. They are about making sure that those who are poor, who are poor because of the sins of wasteful spending, riotous living, harlotry, living it up, being addicted to stuff, that they are brought to repentance compassionately so that they can dig themselves out of that. And people who repent from that will naturally fare better all things being equal and so luke chapter 15 the three parables about lost things they are most certainly not compatible with socialism thank you for waking up with truth Espresso. good morning and god bless your day